Good morning. Welcome to church. We're so glad you guys are here. I'm just going to pray. We'll take a moment. Just acknowledge the presence of God this morning. It's so good sometimes to just pause, forget about all the things we've got going on, all the things on our to-do list, and just focus in on him. God, we're just so thankful for your presence this morning, so thankful for your people that you love and that we love. We're thankful to be here this morning, God. And those of us who aren't able to be here who are able to participate online, we thank you for that opportunity as well. And we acknowledge those people this morning, God. Please fill this place today, God, with your presence. Help us to focus our hearts and our minds on you, God. Let us sing these songs not just as words, but to think about what they really mean, that they would impact our hearts in some way, that you would be speaking to us, that you would be comforting us as you do, God, correcting us if we need that. Lord, we're open this morning. We're open to you. Have your way. Amen. You can stand if you'd like. You can stay seated if that's more comfortable for you. We're going to praise God this morning. Amen. Oh, 
Well, all right, we're going to do something a little different this morning. You guys can play if you'd like to just play behind me as I read this. I'm going to do, this is a responsive reading, so I'm going to read something, and then we're all going to read a response together. So hopefully that works out. (laughs) It should be clear what we're doing. So um, this is like a prayer that we're going to do. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. And I'm going to read this as as the passage from Scripture that supports what we're saying. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. Restore our union, Lord. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. Amen. All right, let's worship this morning and just keep our hearts open for him to fill us. Amen.
dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe but the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel or shall not fade by his blood and Christ who has read
between them, God, help us to let go of the things that we're holding on to. Help us, God, to surrender those things to you. Whether it's our doubts, our fears, our anxiety, whatever it is, circumstances, God, help us this morning as we sing this to let go. seated, but please remain in a posture of worship as we spend some time praying this morning. Open yourself up to the Lord in whatever way is comfortable for you. Just make a space and and an opportunity to be with him and to meet him this morning as we listen. God, we thank you for being here with us. God, we thank you for loving us. God, it is such a a beautiful gift that we can come into this place and that we can just open ourselves up to you, God, and that you give yourself freely to us time and time again. God, I just pray that you would continue to move in this place, continue to speak to us, Lord. God, we are open. We are listening to you. God, help us to get out of our head. Help us to get out of our ways that we can get stuck in sometimes. God, would you help us to receive a new and fresh calling from you. God, would you just renew in our minds and in our hearts, God, renew this calling as we open up your word and as we talk about what it looks like to be followers of Jesus, would you give us new eyes to see? Help us to hear this message and this word in a new and fresh way. God, we just pray for those who are here or those who are watching from home. God, we just remember those and we think of those and we pray for those who maybe have been dealing with sickness, those who are dealing with various health issues. God, we pray for those who have just been having a hard time. Maybe they are dealing with relational issues, financial issues. God, maybe there are those, we know there are those who are dealing with stress and anxiety. God, we we pray for those who are experiencing pain and brokenness. And God, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters all across the globe. Particularly 
our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia. God, help us to help us to remember them and help us to continue to to grieve with those who are grieving. God, help us to not forget that there are still lives being lost, lives being taken. There are hearts of stone that need to be melted and changed. God, we don't forget those this morning whose world is still in crisis. They're experiencing unimaginable pain. God, would you just continue to draw near to those who are hurting and grieving and mourning and living life hidden and afraid. God, would you just draw near to them, help them to know that you are with them. God, be their stronghold, be their peace, be their anchor. Help them to not lose hope. God, for those who are here, they just need to have hope. God, would you give them hope this morning? Would you help them to know that you are with them? You are guiding us. You are leading us. God, you are right there. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. Help us to listen to you. God, help us Follow you. God, we just continue to remain open to you as you speak to us, as we open up your word, and as you continue to speak to us, God. Would you just help us? Give us strength, Lord. Show us what it looks like once again to be your people. God, we love you. We thank you again for your gracious love and mercy. God, we thank you for always being there, for being the constant in our life. We love you, and we pray all of this in the name of King Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, we just missed it, 10.33. That's right, I didn't forget. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for, for Gary who reminded me that this morning at 10.33, it's officially spring. And so that happened while we were singing and um, it is officially spring and what a beautiful day it is. And we just need um, those signs of life to be a reminder for us, right? So happy spring, everyone. Thank you for being here with us this morning. We're so glad that you all are here. Um, If you want to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 once again this morning. Um, But as we prepare to to read our passage, I just want to, to help you to get in the moment. I want to help you envision what it is we are about to read. So we are are in a sermon series in which we are mostly looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so we spent the last two weeks talking about the Beatitudes. Um, and, And so I just want to continue to remind you 
what this setting was like and, and who was present and who it is Jesus is talking to as he is saying things like, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want you to imagine and know who he's talking to. And so if you have to close your eyes to get in the moment, by all means do so, but, but take a moment to envision Imagine on the side of this mountain, there's just a group of people. There's a group of people, and they're sitting in this kind of natural amphitheater on a sloping hill beside the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that a pretty picture to imagine? Among the crowd, there were some rough fishermen who may have had their hired hands with them. There were shrewd tax collectors and their cronies. There were uptight religious leaders like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were there because they were growing increasingly curious and nervous about this new preacher in Palestine. There were hardworking tradespeople of all sorts that were present. There were mothers who were there with their children. And what you need to understand is that present on the side of this mountain in front of Jesus, before Jesus are all of these really ordinary people like you and I. There were people present who were broken and hurting and scared. They were people like me and people like you, and something was happening in their town, something new and something big. And it was happening as this new preacher who had just arrived on the scene with what he called the gospel of God. He had been joyfully announcing everywhere he traveled the good news that history had reached a major turning point. And, and this was revealed by him saying things like, the time is fulfilled, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come and is near. And it's so near because of this man. And things started happening. People were being cured of diseases. Those who had long suffered blindness were beginning to see. The lame were beginning to walk. People long held captive by demonic spirits were being set free. People were experiencing joy as their sins were forgiven. Troubled minds were finding peace. So from all over Galilee, people were flocking to this preacher, this Jesus of Nazareth. I think I would have. And hopefully you would have too. And so this is the setting. This is the context. I want you to picture it. And it's in front of this group that Jesus says these words. So I invite you to stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus says to those that were before him, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord this morning. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm sure that uh, many, most of you are familiar with this passage, uh, but I also wonder, we may be familiar with this passage, but are we familiar with this passage being situated in the Sermon on the Mount? Are we familiar with this passage and understanding the entire context? I think it's really easy to hear these words from Jesus, be, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and it's really easy to to hear that and think, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be so good and and pleasing, and, and I'm supposed to let my light shine and be careful, don't let Satan blow it out, right? It's easy to think of these words and these metaphors and and not really fully understand the implications. If we don't unpack the context, the entire story here, I'm afraid that we are in danger of missing exactly what it is that Jesus is saying. In other words, it's important for us, for you and I, to know the whole story. Remember several weeks ago, we talked about the importance of Scripture and how as followers, disciples of Jesus, we ought to be in Scripture. But but even more, I encourage you that it's important that you can't just, don't just spout off the, the memory verses and that you don't just know snippets, but that you know the whole story of God, the story that you are in. And I think this morning it's important for us to know the whole story, to understand, so that we understand that this is not a new message that Jesus is preaching. Jesus didn't wake up on this morning and think, oh, it just hit me. I have a great word for these people. I have something brand new for them. He may have said it in a different way, but this is not a new message. This is the same message from the same God who has been with these people from the very beginning. So let's just go back really quickly to the beginning, the very beginning, the in the beginning kind of beginning. You know this story, right? Do you? Do you know this story in the beginning? You know God created the heavens and the earth. God created the animals that walk the land. God created the birds that fly, the fish that swim. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the entire cosmos. He, he spoke it and it was and it was good. But then God created Man, and we were the highlight of his creation. We were the masterpiece of God's creation. But even then, he did not just create us to hang out and wander the land. He created us with a very specific purpose in mind. Let me remind you, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So from the very beginning, we see that God created man. God created man and man was called to first produce, but then ultimately to be a blessing to the earth, right? And not just to the people, but to the animals, to God's creation, take care of all of creation, 
God was calling man to partner with him, to participate in his kingdom, caring for and blessing the earth that was given to them. But then something happens. Something happens, right? It all goes wrong. Temptation, lust for wisdom, lust for knowledge, a desire to be like God, deception, and ultimately sin. And things won't quite be the same, will they? It's, it's kind of depressing to imagine the moment before and the moment after knowing that things will never be the same again. But does that stop God? Does God stop there and say, well, I had great, grand, and glorious visions for these people that I created, and now it's just all gone. Guess I'll go find something else to do. No, no, it didn't stop God from pursuing. It didn't stop God from redeeming and restoring. It didn't stop God from partnering with us, did it? Because we see that that as time goes on, God sees a good and righteous man by the name of Abram. And God sees Abram's family and God calls out to Abram and he says in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we see. Abram and his family, they're called. They're called to be a blessing. They're called to partner with God. They're called to participate in God's kingdom. They're called to be a blessing to the nations around them, showing them who God is. And this happens. This happens through Abraham. Abram goes to Abraham. This happens through Isaac. This happens through Jacob. And we see this happen through Jacob's son, Joseph. We see that God does indeed bless Egypt through Joseph, right? God uses Joseph and his awful circumstances to show other nations and other people who he is. And God was faithful. God did bless other nations. God did bless Israel. God helped Israel to grow and to be fruitful. And they multiplied and they grew into these amazing people, into this amazing nation. But then something happens. After a while, something happens. After Joseph dies and he's gone for a while, time passes. And after a while, people didn't really remember who Joseph was anymore. He was known in Egypt and he was known for being a man of God. People saw God because they saw Joseph and how God used Joseph. But after a while, people forgot. He was gone and then those people forgot and then those people forgot. And before long, a new ruler with power, decided that these Israelites were not a blessing. They were a perceived threat, right? And so then they are oppressed. They are enslaved. They call out to God. God looks at them. God sees them. God hears them. God listens to them. God responds uh, to them. God rescues them and redeems them. And through his chosen leader, Moses, God rescued the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to a sacred place, Mount Sinai. And and don't miss the parallels here. Sermon on the Mount, Mount Sinai. And God says to them in Exodus 19, to these gathered people, the nation of Israel, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, 
if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Once again, we see God's people are called to journey with God. And on this journey, they are set apart as a holy people, a kingdom of priests, and they are called. They are called to be a blessing. They are called to partner with God, participating in his kingdom, being a blessing to the nations around them and showing them who God is. And they have God's covenantal promise that that he will be their God and they will be his people. You see the pattern by now, right? You see the pattern. There's a pattern, and you probably are familiar with how the rest of the story goes. If you know how the story goes, you know that that God's people are, are, are faithful to God for like five seconds, and then God's people wander. They forget. God's people sin. They create idols. They turn away from God. They turn to just about anything and everything but God, and then God sends a prophet who is anointed who, who calls, calls them to return to God. The prophet preaches a message of warning, of judgment. If you don't do this, then this is going to happen. And the people say, okay. And so then that bad thing happens. And then, oh, we're oppressed again. And we call out to God. And God listens. And God responds. And God redeems. And God restores. And they're good for like five seconds. And then it all repeats itself again and again and again. And then we fast forward a bit. And here we are with Jesus. Here he is on this mountain. And he has just gathered and ministered to those who are nobodies. He's gathered this this group of misfits that he calls disciples. He has healed those who are sick. He has spoken to and encouraged those who are destitute, those who have nothing. And he's called them blessed. These ordinary people who seemingly have no reason to be considered blessed, he calls them blessed, and because he calls them blessed, they are now called. And here's what they are called to. They are called to journey with God. And on this journey, they are set apart as holy people. They are to be a blessing to others. They are called to partner with God, to participate in God's kingdom, and they are called to be a blessing to those around them, showing them who God is. And as people who are now called again, right? They're called again. As people who are now called, Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. I imagine the original audience just pausing and receiving each and every word embodying each and every word and meditating on each and every syllable. He looks at them and he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. Listen, in in saying that, Jesus is saying, Jerusalem's not the salt of the earth. The temple's not the salt of the earth. The Torah is not the salt of the earth. The Pharisees are not the salt of the earth. They could be, but they don't want to be. But you are, you You are the salt of the earth. I imagine them hearing that call. You, me, me, this ordinary person standing before Jesus. I've done nothing good. I've done nothing good except receive his blessings. And now I'm I'm the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Notice the word are. Not you will be the salt of the earth once you go through this training course on what it looks like. Not you will be. 
Not you will if or you are if, but you are right now as you are, as you stand before me. You are the salt of the earth. You are the goodness of the earth. We also know that word, we talked about this last week, that word earth can mean land. Better understood as land, in other words, because that kind of personalizes a little bit, a little bit, right? Jesus is saying to them, you are the salt of this land in which you are living. This land that you're going to go journey on, you are the salt of this land. Jesus is saying to them, you bring out the God flavors. You reveal who God is and what he's doing. You season others as they grow. You season with your love for God and your love for neighbor. You preserve. It means you're not useless. You combat things like yeast and mold and bacteria. You keep fresh through the never-ceasing work of God. You like salt, Jesus is saying. You have a very real, important, and intentional purpose. You now have a role to play. And as people who are now called again, as they are gathered before Jesus and as they are called again, he says to them, also, you are the light of the world. Again, each and every word, embodying, embracing each and every word. You light the world. You, you enlighten the world. And when the Jewish audience standing before Jesus hears the word world, that enlightens them to under, or that helps them understand that Jesus is not just talking about the Jewish world. He, he's very intentional in his wording and, and they're beginning to understand like, oh, this is bigger than us. This is bigger than the nation of Israel. This is bigger than the Jewish people. Jesus is saying that we're to go out to, to the world, like the whole world outside of, of the Jewish world that we know we're supposed to go to Gentiles and outsiders. Jesus is, is telling them you are to enlighten all of the world to the radical love and transforming grace of God now through me. There was this ancient understanding of the word light. These are things that we miss if we don't really pay attention. There was this ancient understanding of the word light, and this word light was connected to truth and knowledge and revelation and love. And so Jesus is saying that you are a set-apart, holy people of God who are to enlighten the entire world to God's truth, revelation, and radical love, not limiting who God will use and who God will work through. This is the context in which we are to understand this passage. This is what it looks like to be salt and light. This was not just some lighthearted sentiment that one hears and, and thinks warm and fuzzy thoughts about. It's as Scott McKnight says that Jesus brings the disciples into his work. He transfers his efficacy on earth to them. Does that feel heavy? Because it is. That's weighty. And friends, it's still just as weighty today. This call is just as profound today. This, this ought to be just as meaningful right here, right now, as it was for the original hearers of this message. 
As we listen to to Jesus' words, we are being reminded of who we are, who we've always been, and who God is calling us to be and how we are now to live. To us, the church, followers of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are salt and light. You are. You already are. You already are the salt and the light. And you might be thinking, well, what does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be light? Can you make this more personal? What does it mean? I would say that in terms of light, we ought to be a radiant source of light that when shown, the impact is seen and felt. You know what I mean? Like, like imagine that you're sitting in a room and the sun shines in through a window. No one has to declare, oh, look, there's the sun. There it is. It's shining in here. Oh, do you feel the warmth of the... No one does that. If you're really excited about sunlight, maybe you do that, and that's great. But no one has to declare that the sunlight is, is now beaming into this room and its warmth is felt. You just see it, and you just know. We should be able to see the impact, the inevitable impact that we are having as the light of the world. If we are the light of the world, then we should be able to look around and see how that's changing the world around us. In other words, the lives of of people that we are close with, their lives should be different because of the light that they see. And remember last week, we, we talked about how, yes, an important question that we ought to ask is, where is God? Where is God? But we also talked about how there is a time and a place when it's appropriate to ask, where are God's people? Where's God's community? Where are they? What are they doing? Are they hiding underground because the world's just going to hell in a handbasket? So, you know, not much we can do about it. We're just going to hang out till Jesus gets back. I use that all the time because I think so often it's easy for us to do that. We just hunker down and wait for the awfulness to pass, wait for Jesus to return. In the meantime, we're hiding the light that's supposed to be in the world. Where is the radiant bride of Christ? And can we see her light shining? And if we can't see the inevitable impact that that we should be having, then it's time to ask these hard questions. Church, to be salt means that we embody things like mercy, peace, humility, and love. It means that rather than being a bitter reminder of what others are constantly doing wrong and how others are are living in all the wrong ways, we are to be a tasty glimpse of who God is and what God is already doing and how gracious Jesus is and how the Holy Spirit can and does use even the most Gentile Gentiles. You know what I mean when I say that? There's caution here, and this is hard to talk about because sometimes the Christians that I interact with are the grumpiest people I know. There's, there's cause for us to, to, to pause here and to really consider if it's a good thing that we broadcast that we are a follower of Jesus. 
I know that's heavy, and that's a hard word, and it's a little too preachy for my liking. (laughs) But it's what I thought about over and over and over this week. That if we're going to broadcast that we are a follower of Jesus, and yet we are grumpy and, and critical and rude and judgmental, and we only point out everything else that everyone else is doing wrong and how they just can't get it right, and yet somehow we magically miss all the things that we might be doing wrong, and we just seem to have it all completely together. Isn't it funny how that works? I preached a sermon on the salt of of these words where Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth a few years ago. And the sermon went in a completely different direction, but I could kind of sum up this portion of the sermon by saying what I said then. And that is that if you want people to thirst for Jesus, if you want people to want Jesus, if you are just scratching your head, like why don't people around me want anything to do with Jesus? If you want people to thirst for the living water, to find living, redeeming, life-giving salvation in Jesus, then you better be a super salty Christian that makes them thirst for Jesus. Otherwise, we're useless. And don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. If you've lost your saltiness, you're useless. What good is it? What good is the church if the church is just a grumpy... And listen, we all have bad days. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have... I had to repent to my family a couple nights ago because I was just really grumpy. I was really grumpy, and I recognized my grumpiness, and I acknowledged it and asked for forgiveness for it. Like, I'm not saying you can't have grumpy bad days. We all have them. But like, consider your disposition for a minute. Are you salty? There was a time when, you know, salty meant like it's slang for, oh, are you mad? What's wrong? Why? Don't be salty. But I am saying that we should be quite salty. And if we're not, then something's wrong. And while we're talking about it, as we are kind of coming to a close on this particular portion of this message, we ought to carefully consider and acknowledge the danger of diminishing this call to be salt and light. Because Jesus has some pretty, pretty sobering words to say that if we're not living in this way, if we are not salt and light, then we are in danger of being thrown out and rejected. Do we, do we understand that? Matthew has several instances where Jesus refers to this kind of judgment. Thrown into the fire. We don't like that one. No, 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 no. We don't like to talk about that, right? Thrown into the fire in chapter 3, verse 10. But guess who Jesus is talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. And then in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about what's going to be thrown into the fire? It's trees that don't bear good fruit. People who don't remain in me and bear good fruit. Who's thrown into the fire in Matthew chapter 18? Those who cause others to stumble. And then there's this language that Matthew uses of throwing the bad out, which is what Jesus is saying he's going to do to the unsalty Christians, essentially. Throwing the bad away in chapter 13. Those who aren't doing the work of the kingdom of heaven. 
okay, I know, we don't like to talk about judgment. A whole shift happens in the room when we talk about judgment. We don't like to hear about judgment. There are some people who just don't ever want to talk about judgment because, I don't know, who wants to hear about judgment? Who wants to hear that we're going to be judged? We want grace, 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 right? We want to talk about grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. No judgment, just grace. And then there are those who want to hear about judgment, but they want to hear it in the context of, I need all those people to know that they are going to be judged with fire. I need all those people who are sinning against God, those outsiders, to know that their sin is serious. And there's a time and a place for that. But I just want to recall, I just want to recall who Jesus is talking about in this moment. And it's his followers who refrain from being salt and light. So my question for us as we come to a close this morning is, are we in danger of being useless? And I think we need to ask that question both collectively as the church and also individually. Am I in danger of being useless? As scholar Craig Keener says, he says, a disciple of the kingdom who does not live like a disciple of the kingdom is worth about as much as tasteless salt or invisible light. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back. And as we prepare for a time of response and reflection, I want to say one more time, and please don't miss this. Church, you and I, we, we are the people of God. We are God's people who are called to partner with and journey with God. And on this journey, we are set apart as a holy people, a kingdom of priests who are called to be a blessing to those around them. We are called to partner with God, participate in his kingdom, being a blessing to those around us and showing them who God is. This is the mission of God. And if that feels big and weighty and important, it's because it is big and weighty and important, so big and so important that your entire life should be completely caught up in this mission. The church exists, you and I exist, because God has a mission. God has a mission to restore and redeem what sin has broken and maimed. And you and I are not just consumers or receivers of this mission. We are participants. We are called to participate. And as participants, we are to be salt and light. That means that we ought to be a flavorful, loving, kind, caring, warm, open, hospitable presence. Our impact should be seen and felt in the world as we stand out as a stark contrast, a beam of radiant light in an otherwise dark and broken world. 
So as we just prepare a time, prepare to respond during this time, I just, I, I want us to just take a moment. I can always sense when a word is particularly hard and challenging, and I sense that. <laughs> it's very quiet in the room. That may not have been the most... <laughs> That wasn't probably the message you wanted to hear on the first day of spring. <laughs> it wasn't very uh, easy, was it? But the season of Lent is about, it's about talking about the hard things and addressing the hard things, the ugly things. And we are in the midst of a season of in the season of Lent, which is a season of reflection, a season of, of repentance, of openness to God and how he wants to change us to look more like him. And so I hope that, that you will stand before the Lord, giving the Holy Spirit room to move within your heart, allowing him to speak to you, and responding, if he prompts you to respond to this call for the first time to be salt and light, or maybe for some of us to repent and acknowledge that we've not always been salt and light, or maybe we're just never salt and light. Right now, we should examine our hearts, confess where we have failed, and most importantly, rely upon God to help us. We can't do it without him. We can't just will ourselves to be salt and light. You have to be open to God changing things in your heart and reorienting your life so that you can go be the salt and the light. As Sky Jatani puts it, he puts it perfectly saying, salt and light are the outcomes of ordinary lives lived in rich communion with God. Friends, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus, and we acknowledge this once again as we journey with him to the cross, that this is what the way of Jesus looks like. This is how we ought to live. And if we aren't living in this way, it's time for us to go to the Father again and again and again so that we don't lose sight that this is who we are right here, right now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The altars are open. If you feel led to come and pray, you can kneel at your seat, you can stand, you can whatever you feel prompted to do.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your grace that helps us to live as you've called us to live. God, when we forget, when it just gets too difficult, God, when we just get caught up in the way and living the way that everyone else around us lives, God, maybe just falling victim to our human nature. It's just who I am. But God, we are reminded that you give us power to live in a different way. God, it's through your sanctifying grace. We as Nazarenes, we we love this message of your sanctifying grace that takes what was old and hard and broken and makes something completely new that looks like Jesus. God, help us not to forget that that means our entire lives, every part of us, especially how we treat others, how we speak to others, and how we are just present. God, help us to be salt and light. God, help us to bring out the God flavors of the world. God, we pray that you would use us to help others see you, that when they are in our presence, when they are in our homes, when we are in their homes, when we are out and about, God, help us to be people who embody something different. The love and humility of Jesus. God, this is who you've called us to be, and we pray right now that you would help us as we leave this place seeking to be these people. God, we love you, and we thank you for how you will help us and how you will be with us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we leave this morning, I do have just a few quick announcements that I want to share with you. Um, Jim, I may go a little bit out of order here, so bear with me. Uh, Let me start with um, the zone rally that's going to be tomorrow night, the 21st, (laughs) tomorrow night. That's going to be here at the church at 7 p.m. Um, This is where we're going to hear from missionaries, John and Vicki Moore. They're going to come here, and other people from our region are going to come here. So it's not just going to be our church, but the other churches on our zone. Um, I said region, but I meant zone. Uh, They're going to come and be able to hear from John and Vicki Moore as well, and and we're just going to be able to hear what God is doing on the mission field through them. And they sound like really interesting people, so I think it's going to be really interesting and rewarding and and we, this is just one of those, listen, I don't want to just come up here and announce this, like, and move on to the next thing, but this is important. 
And this is a reminder that God is so much bigger than 1901 Lebanon Avenue, right? That God is so much bigger and God is doing so much more than just what he's doing here. Hopefully he's doing big, great things here, but he's also very active in the world. And this is one of those ways that we see what God is doing. And this helps us to be encouraged by the work of of our denomination of the Church of the Nazarene and how people are being used to share God's love and to be salt and light all around the world. So, With that, I hope you will plan to join us tomorrow at 7 p.m. That's going to be here in the sanctuary. Um, Lunch Bunch is going to meet Wednesday, this coming Wednesday at noon, and they are going to be meeting at Easy Buffet in Belleville. And then um, we are still reminding everyone, if you are interested in helping out with our hospitality team and helping out Young and all the hard work that she does, uh, we would love to to have you helping with that. So if you're interested in that, you can see her. You can talk to Karen. Karen gets back later this week. You can call the office or you can talk to me um, and we'll make sure that we do that. Um, this is just a little a little call from me. Um, we could use some extra support in our children's ministries. Uh, th- don't hear this as like a desperate plea. And, and that means like, okay, I'm gonna sign up to help even though I don't like kids, right? Like, okay, she really needs help, and I really don't like kids, but I'll help her. Like, it's not that desperate, okay? I want you to, to in some way, want to be around children and, and understand that children can be a joy and challenging, but also a joy. And so um, I'm not even necessarily looking for teachers, although if we have anybody that's willing to be on the teaching rotation, that would be great. But if that's too intimidating, we just need some extra support. We would just, we could really use some extra support for our dedicated, hardworking, overworked teachers. And so um, if, if that appeals to you, would you please talk to me and let me know about that? Okay, so Thursday, this Thursday, here at the church is our Restore Network virtual banquet. And I just want to make something clear to you. Um, you'll see, like, on this slide, for instance, it talks about how the, the program starts at 7, but we're actually meeting here at 6 because we're having dinner together, right? So we're going to meet here in the sanctuary. We're going to share a meal together. Um, that's going to be provided for you. You just sign up, show up, and, and we'll have that ready to go at 6. And then the actual banquet, the virtual banquet that we're going to watch together, will start at 7, Okay. And so with that, um, we are going to be tearing down the room today and moving chairs and setting up tables both for the banquet and for the rally for tomorrow night. So if you would be willing to give us just a few minutes of your time after we leave, after we dismiss, uh, we could really use some help just putting up some tables, moving chairs. Uh, Trisha is going to be our point person. She's going to kind of tell us where things should go. But also, if you are someone that has helped us rearrange the sanctuary before in putting up tables and you remember where things go, like where the chairs go and how we set that up and that could be helpful, let us know because it's been a while. So we've kind of forgotten, like, you know, how that went smoothly. So if you, uh, you know, want to help us with that, you can. But we just need the help and it'll go really quickly. Okay? I think that's everything. So I invite you to stand with me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and may you go and be salt and light to the world around you this week. Go in his grace. You are dismissed. Happy first day of spring. Have a great day.